Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is the 1960 film, Sergeant Rutledge. And so this movie, once again directed by John Ford, it's set in the Arizona Territory, and the main story is a Buffalo soldier, Sergeant Rutledge, is on trial by court-martial under penalty of death for the murder and rape of a young white girl, and her also her father. Yes. He's also in charge of that. And throughout, it's just basically, it starts with the very beginning of that trial, and as different witnesses and different of the events are recounted, we see flashbacks to what happened. And yes, so in the main character is actually not Sergeant Rutledge, but it's the soldier played by Jeffrey Hunter. Yeah, he Lieutenant the, Cantrell. Cantrell, yes. And he's defending Rutledge, and he's trying to pretty much establish that Rutledge is a good guy, and he's clearly innocent, but he, the... Odds are stacked against him for many reasons, and Cantrell's got to find the way to prove it, and through different accounts, and then he gets a very two key pieces of evidence at the end that help break the case and clear Sergeant Rutledge's name, and it gets a big happy ending. Rutledge is cleared. He's back to serve with the military, and the right person is found guilty of the crime. Yes. And that's pretty much it. There's a romance story, but that's pretty much the main gist yeah. of the story. Yeah, the romance is pretty much a, a kind of a side a, a side a side story, right? But mm-hmm. um yeah, he's he's uh, Rutledge is in a in a bad spot because the circumstantial evidence points in his direction. Eyewitnesses placed him at the scene of the crime leaving uh, with a gunshot wound, right? And apparently they're uh, gunshots were heard, right? And then um, they discovered the uh, two corpses um, after Rutledge had left. And to make matters worse, Rutledge, uh, even though he's innocent, he decides to run. And that that's because of the second element you're talking about. Not only this is the circumstantial evidence pointing in his direction, but uh, just the... Uh, the, the the racial and political uh, atmosphere of the time is something he's very m- much well aware of. Uh, he, he's an interesting case. The Buffalo Soldiers are an interesting case. It's relatively uh, soon after the Civil War, and uh, it's about it's the eighteen eighties, somewhere in the eighteen eighties, and um, the U.S. Army was stretched very thin, not only in the Indian territories, simply trying to uh, uh, maintain law and order out there and fight the uh, uh, various tribes who were excellent fighters and determined to uh, win, right? Um, at the, around that same time, we had uh, uh, the Spanish-American War going on, and then after that, the, the Philippine insurrection to deal with. So uh, troops were being sent overseas for those two reasons. Uh, curiously enough, Buffalo soldiers were sent to the Philippines as well. And uh, um, that war is an interesting, uh, uh, somewhat tragic case because uh, the United States did things in the Philippines that uh, we should not be very proud of. Um, Probably about 40,000 people were killed, and uh, uh, there was torture and other things going on at that time. Um, It's a testament to the Philippines that they're very strong friends with us now, and to some extent... uh, 
I don't want to put it callously, but the United States made this up to them in the uh, very tight alliance that existed during World War II. Um, but all of this is going on during this uh, time period of this story. So the U.S. Army uh, made had to make a decision on how to how to man uh, a very thinly stretched uh, uh, Western territories, right? And they decided to use black soldiers, not because necessarily they thought they could, uh, they were mentally capable of leading. So you'll see here, as in the case in the story here, they were typically led by white officers. And Lieutenant Cantrell, this is another kind of strike against uh, the Woody Strode character, Rutledge. Um, Lieutenant Cantrell is his commanding officer. So immediately the defense brings up that fact and says, how can we possibly trust you to uh, 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 prop, uh, follow proper legal proceedings when you have a vested interest, interest in this guy? Um, great question. Great question. But I think uh, what I like about the Cantrell character is he uh, clearly he's conflicted, but clearly he does know he needs to follow the law, proper procedures. And uh, he does this all through that adventure when they're going to uh, Lucy's father's ranch and they run into an attacked by Apaches. And uh, he allows uh, Rutledge to help them fight off the Apaches. But he also tells him, you know, once we're done here, I'm going to have to put these cuffs back on you because you're my prisoner and I have to take you back. I have to follow procedure. And he didn't put it this way, of course, um, and take you back for the court-martial. Uh, so a great, just a great film with all of these different aspects, setting you up to think there is no way Rutledge is going to survive this. He is going to be railroaded. It is going to be a kangaroo court. Um, and it's a bit of a circus of a court too, mm-hmm. as we saw in the film. Um, but in the end, uh, it turns out that uh, justice is served. The court-martial uh, panel, for the most part, does a good job of putting a, putting aside any prejudices they may have. Because um, I know watching it, I'm thinking, they're not. There's just too much pressure here. A uh, white girl was a victim, not only murdered but raped. This is not going to end up well for Rutledge. It ends up well for Rutledge, primarily because of those two pieces of evidence, the hunting coat and the crucifix, the little golden crucifix. Um, pins, uh, that, that pins the murder on a fairly popular uh, young man. What was his name? I forget his name. I forget his name. But uh, uh, it turns out it wasn't him. It was his father who is called to the stand and acts as if it's just, he's blaming his own son. This just bugged the hell out of me. You do not blame your own son for something you did. Um, But uh, uh, great twist ending. I did not see that coming, but when he's writing, uh, when Cantrell is taking notes on the, uh, the evidence as it was introduced, he writes down, this jacket is too large for that boy. He was kind of small. What's going on? And you see, Rutledge looking over his shoulder and reading that note, and he's wondering, what's Cantrell up to here? Great ending. Love that ending. 
Yeah, and we've, this idea for this show came about because just a couple weeks ago we talked about The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, another John Ford Western, which had the character of Pompey, which was also played by Woody Strode. And while he is not the main focus of that movie, there is still things John Ford does in that movie, not only on camera, but sort of behind the scenes with, yeah. with the ticking off his actors, but he's showing the racism of the West, the main character in that movie when... He is in the very left of the frame sitting out while all the white people are going into the bar to vote. Yes. And uh, the scenes when he's not allowed to get a drink at the bar and when he's reciting the um, Declaration of Independence and he is about to say all men are created equal, that is when Tom Donovan, played by John Wayne, conveniently stops him. Yes. There are things Ford does in that movie, and this is a film he did two years before The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, and it's a really... Interesting. uh, yeah, progressive and very almost pretty groundbreaking for its time of 1960, featuring yes. a Western, John Ford, at this time a very established filmmaker, choosing you know Sergeant Rutledge as not the main character, that's still Jeffrey Hunter as Contro, but still making him the main, char- main character and even showing a crime, you know, brutal, horrific crime and looking that black men being falsely accused of raping white women were something that was going on at this time. There was a very famous case Mm -hmm. of a young black teenager named Emmett Till who was brutally hanged by a lynch mob and murdered. And he got, you know, because they said he was sexually harassing a white woman, which is proven not to be true. Yeah. So this is... It's still him looking at sort of racism in the West and even something like The Searchers, which is more about white Indian relations than more African-Americans. But it's interesting reading about this, um, the character of Woody Strode. That was not the studio's first choice. This was 1960. And at that time, because there were a few leading African-Americans in Hollywood... You know, the two main choices cause would be Harry Belafonte and Sidney Poitier, because that was basically the only two Hollywood yeah. you know, wouldn't have at that time. And while those are two very good actors, I couldn't imagine anybody else than Woody Strode in this movie. Yes, and um, if only for the reason that you want somebody who looks like a hard-bitten, physically fit veteran. And Woody Strode fits that to the yes. T. Those two guys, not to put it too bluntly they they look kind of soft <laughs> well, um, Woody Strode is a football player. yes yeah he played on yeah. UCLA with Jackie Robinson and Kenny Washington who actually broke the color barrier in the NFL two years before Robinson broke the MLB color yes. barrier he was a football player he was a veteran of World War II which once again Wayne I mean Ford liked to use to piss off Wayne to mock his lack of service in World War II so this is he embodies like a tough yes. sergeant soldier, like, a, like yes. almost like an Arlie Emery in Full Metal Jacket. Yes. You can see him. He's the one that can kick butts. And, and it, there are shots in that film that would not have worked with those other two gentlemen. Uh, I forget when it is, but there's a scene of uh, kind of looking up at him, and he's in profile, and the music's going. Yeah, Captain Buffalo. Captain Buffalo's going. That Sidney Poitier couldn't have pulled that off. There's no way. I, I don't think so. Strode is the right guy for it's, it's physicality. Exactly, like once again. physicality, posture, the chiseled look. I mean, he's mm-hmm. got that face. He looks like he could be on Mount Rushmore or something. You know, he's 
perfect choice. Yeah. And once again, Potier, nothing, we're not saying he's a bad actor or anything, but he's not a football player. No. You know? I don't he, think he ever played football. He, he, he's, a, he's a New York City guy, yeah. right? You know, I, I cannot remember the name of the film he's in. It's that great film about the blind girl. Um, uh, Patch of Blue. Patch of Blue. He's, he's, he's ideal for that kind of a role. I mean, he can be, be tough. I mean, once again, in the heat of the night, one of my yeah. favorite scenes is when the, when he's questioning the racist white guy, and that guy slaps him without even a split second hesitation. Yeah. Potier Bam. slaps him back, <laughs> but it's just Potier is just, like Strode is taller than him. He's more muscular than him. he looks like a guy who could pull off being a you know a guy who served time right. in the in the army. Yes, absolutely, yeah. totally agree with that. And and oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. One of the things we also know is, once again, he's being put in handcuffs, and they're going through his stuff. This is when the originally it's we're first learning about the crime. Yeah. One of the things where they find in him is a his letter of freedom. He was a former slave, and once again, it's you're taking this man who was born in chains, and now you're putting him back in chains. And that it, it just once again forward, just like what he did with him in Vanishot Liberty Balance, is making the audience aware. Yeah, and with Valance, uh, I don't think there's as much quite a, as it were, a meditation on it from the point of view of the ex-slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, in in um, this film, you see uh, a, a real kind of conflict in, in, in some of the characters here. Um, they're, they're having to seriously consider... Uh, as it were, the nature of the social contract with American uh, society. They have recently been enfranchised. They've recently been given citizenship and all the protections that are supposed to come with citizenship. At the very same time, they have a very uh, uh, jaundiced view, uh, somewhat somewhat jaundiced view about it. After all, um, he runs because he knows or he's convinced he's not going to get a fair trial because it's a case of a black man, circumstantial evidence pointing toward rape and murder of a white woman. He actually puts it that way. This is a white mm-hmm. woman problem. Um, uh, so he does run, right? So it, 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 they, it makes you kind of get into the heads of not only his character but some of the older black uh, guys that are in the unit who were slaves. And... They have to be asking themselves, why are we serving this country when it is so patently slanted against us, right? Uh, uh, we've been given, we've kind of been given an opening to, as it were, join that contract, but it sure doesn't look like the other side is going to abide by the contract. So why should we do this? Uh, you see a little of that. And... Very interestingly, Strode chooses ultimately to come back. He starts to run away, but then the Apache attack happens. Uh, and he, he decides to help Cantrell and the, and the unit fight them off. Uh, eventually does come back, to, uh, consents to being handcuffed, come back. Uh, you know, um, it, it, and you have to ask, uh, Why? Right, mm-hmm. I think John Ford is asking that question through this film. Why, in that situation, would you, if you were uh, Rutledge, why would you come back? I'd like to think the answer is. Oh, go ahead. I think it, I think he even says in the movie, but I believe it was something of not just thinking of himself or 
thinking about the men he's serving with, the other Buffalo soldiers, saying, if I run out on them, what kind of person am I? It's not necessarily I'm doing this for my country, but I'm doing it for them, for showing that I don't want to let them down. Yes, I think that's right. He wants to set a precedent of uh, that will develop in such a way that in future cases where uh, you've got a seemingly stacked deck against a black man, um, uh, the system will actually work out in in a fair manner, right? And he's got enough faith in that system and Cantrell. And I think ultimately Cantrell has enough faith in that panel, uh, even with the one ex-Confederate guy mm-hmm. on it, yeah. um, to uh, administer justice fairly. And the, the colonel who is the presiding officer, he says quite forcefully at the beginning of the proceedings, uh, we're not looking at color here. We're going to run this as a fair thing, and anybody that tries to depart from that, uh, you'll pay the price. Um, very crucially, at the end, what does the prosecuting team do? He says, I'm going to address the elephant in the room. It's like, you're trying to blame a young, innocent white boy when your client, he, says, he even says the N-word yeah. at the end, saying, look, I'm addressing this, like, this person he's saying that this person is guilty because well look at him yeah and that turns the panel against the prosecution but it also impels the father who is actually guilty of the crime to stand up and and say and say something it's a remarkable fact he does and he takes the stand and he testifies that his son did in fact do it as we turn find uh, find out later though uh, he he's the one that did it. And it's an interesting question. Why did he put himself at risk of being discovered? Uh, the optimist in me wants to say he noticed the unfairness of the situation. I think it, well, he was, they, he, st- he stopped and said, well, why don't you look again? Because I think that is hers because yes. her necklace has a dent. They said, uh, Cantrell brings it up. It's like, it's curious you stopped that just when they were looking up at that coat. So I think because he figures out that well, that's his coat, that's not his son's coat. Yeah. I think he figured that if they took a closer look at that, they would start questioning. Uh-huh. I think that was the thing. I don't think he was saying. He's trying to get them to avoid looking at the Yeah, key I don't think he was okay. like, well, I don't want them to pin this so, on a black Can't guy. you just let me be naively optimistic? Yeah, Come yeah. on. <laughs> okay, very interesting. Like, yeah, I may be a murderer and a rapist, but I'm not a racist. No. <laughs> yeah, really. One of the things that. You can't help but think of this. this. came out in 1960. Yeah. I believe right that same year, maybe a couple years earlier, was one of the most famous novels ever written. Ever written. Yeah. To Kill a Mockingbird. Yes. And if you don't know, Kill a Mockingbird is a story of a young girl's experience in Alabama in the 1930s. And her father, Atticus Finch, is a lawyer defending a black man accused of rape. And actually, just two years later, the film version of that came out with Gregory Peck, which is just as famous as the novel. Yes. And it's clearly in that movie, you can even shows through the process that this guy did not do it. He did not rape this white woman. But because it's still the South in the 30s, they still say he is guilty, even though he's clearly shown just because of the prejudice of the times. And it's interesting, this is a more positive outlook. And I wonder, even if it's 50 years before, so maybe racism would even more entrenched because it's just 20 years after the end of slavery. Yeah. And I wonder if that 
this ending is realistic. Like even somehow with that big revelation that oh, he, not only did he is proven that he didn't do it, we actually have the guy confessed other guy confessing to it yeah would there still be because you see speaking of emmett till he was killed brutally murdered by a lynch mob yeah at the beginning of that movie you see a lynch mob ready there to hang him oh yeah and i wonder even though it has this happy ending rutledge you know he's smiling and marching back with his troops is it realistic is even if he has been officially cleared and the other per- in this there you do find the culprit there's still people who are just going to still think, oh, I still think he did it. Yeah. And there's still going to be people who are just going to, you don't care and still want to try to lynch him just for the fact that he was black and he was accused of something. The short answer is yes, it's a little optimistic, I think so. Um, I think that is, um, again, Ford sending a message. I, I really think that the, the subtext of this film in Liberty Valance uh, is simply... Uh, uh, he's got a project in mind of placing b- before primarily white movie audiences. Look, this is our past. This is what has occurred in the past. I'd like to present you with, as it were, kind of a, uh, the, the, a proper, the proper way to deal with uh, minorities in general in terms of the legal system. Um, and it's almost a, a, a forewarning of what was to happen in the 60s. He saw it coming. Uh, You have to remember there was a Civil Rights Act uh, passed during the uh, Eisenhower administration, and it was just a few years before uh, this film occurred. And it was necessarily, it was considered uh, uh, to be very incomplete and a partial first step. Uh, I'd be surprised if John Ford was not aware of that and felt it was necessary to kind of prod his audiences, once again, to reconsider the past and even if it is in the in this case a little bit of an idealized past, uh, where everything turns out hunky dory, and the black soldiers uh, do decide to continue to serve uh, in the Buffalo Soldier units, um, nevertheless, uh, he he wants to uh, make make the case that this is something that we need to keep in the foreground of our consciousness. Uh, uh, and it, it's prescient in a way because the '60s, as we, as you know, there was a lot of uh, uh, civil unrest uh, due to the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King. A lot of people did not like what he was trying to do, and you had uh, similar kinds of legal proceedings and uh, political proceedings, and the horrible vision of kids having to be. Um, escorted into schools uh, during that time period. So Ford's kind of aware of all this, and he's making a point because, as you said last, when we did Liberty Valances, he was very close to Strode and considered him a friend and also considered uh, his treatment in general as being patently unfair and in need of being discussed and being exposed not just him personally, but black black Americans in general. All right. And then the last criticism I wanted to bring up, this is one of the criticisms I also have with the searchers, is somehow the just kind of the silly humor in the movie. I'm not sure if it quite works for me. I'm thinking mainly when the um, lead judge of the court-martial's wife yeah. comes in, and she's just completely ditzy. She's like, yeah. this old lady's like, what's your name? 
Hadrick? Oh, I knew a Hadrick. And it, it just kind of goes on, and she's all upset that he's kicking her out of the yeah. courtroom. Yeah. I mean, it's a very, it reminds me very similar of The Searchers. There's a B-plot with the Jeffrey Hunter character mm-hmm. in love with Vera Miles' character, but he's gone all the time, so she marries this other guy, and then there's as the during her wedding, he comes in and causes this big ruckus. And it's just kind of... You kind of That's go like classic John Ford. Yeah. He has the silly, funny little things. Now, I think the Cordelia, the element of the, yeah, the she's the wife of the colonel who's the presiding mm-hmm. officer, right, in the court martial. I think there's something there though that he's 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 setting up the question of whether or not um, the panel will kind of treat her with some kind of favoritism because she is the wife of the officer mm-hmm. in charge. But it's also asking a question, how are they going to deal with a, a witness that is just about completely unreliable? Are they going to kind of just kind of gloss over that and, mm-hmm. and uh, railroad um, Rutledge because of his color or not? I think he sets up that question with her. Yeah, but you can just see because it's the classic, you know, old married couple yeah, they, they get on each other's nerves. It's like a Henny Youngman sketch. So it's yeah. just like, is this just get her? Just she'll say yes. Just get her on. Just get her out of here. Is this, like, I, I actually I, had it. With I, I have to say, I liked it. I thought I it was hilarious. Know. And and the, the, there's this one little there's various little humorous bits in there mm-hmm. too. The other one that cracked me up was uh, uh, they're looking up. I forget some specific. Uh, 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 um, regulation in the what in those days would have been the ucmj i don't know what they called it at that time but you know the manual um that governs uh, court martials and he says give me the darn book and you know or he tells the other guy to look it up i forget the guy at the end and so the guy's looking goes, wait a minute wait a minute why are you using that book and it's a confederate manual what the hell are you using that for right and you guys just the other guy just says look at the fly leaf yeah. Look at the flyleaf. He opens it up and it says, adopted without any kinds of changes from the United States manual. That cracked me up. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're getting close to the end of my questions here. Is there anything else you want to bring up before we close out? No, other than I, I'm saying, you know, I, I kind of see this movie and uh, Liberty Valance as, as of a piece, and it's interesting that uh, Valance is the later of the two. Because it's almost like, for me, Valance introduces. It's like Ford's way of introducing or reminding people, uh, his primarily white audience, of the inconsistencies um, in uh, uh, American society when it comes to treatment of black Americans, right? And this movie develops that theme more thoroughly, not only from the perspective of the white people in the court and the white people who were witnesses, but also from the perspective of those Buffalo soldiers. And it shows, at least to some extent, the conflict they feel and uh, has that hopeful message, like I said, that they do choose to continue to serve, which I think is a positive message about the U.S. military. Yeah. I think you bring that up about, you know, you see this more than Liberty Valance, even though it came two years before. Um, This film isn't as well known. It's not... You know, when you think of John Ford, this isn't Liberty Valance is a lot more well known than this movie. I think it's mainly because of the stars. Woody Strode's no, more known more as a character actor. Jeffrey Hunter, 
known more as a character actor than that guy who was in one episode of Star Trek. Who's the a pilot question. episode. Yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe it's, it's just not as well known. It's well considered, but I mean, well regarded by critics. Yes. But it's just not as well known. As, people haven't seen it as much as the others. Yeah, and I don't know why that is because... Uh, I like them both. Yeah, I like no them. John Wayne, no James Stewart. That's what I guess so. Yeah. And, you know, Jeffrey Hunter does a pretty darn good job. I think he's, uh, I'm familiar, like you said, I'm familiar with him primarily from Star Trek, uh, the, the pilot episode called The Cage. There he's kind of the in-command captain. Yeah. This one, it shows some vulnerability and conflict that he has, but also a loyalty he has to Rutledge, mm-hmm. even though he has some doubts at some point, oh, maybe he did do this, you know? Um, He shows some depth that I I did not see in The Cage. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. There you can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, Reach episode I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at thesoundofcinema.podomatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Sing so long and be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies. Mm-hmm.